Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. guys hello welcome back we are here today to talk about this thing called propaganda and whatever <laughs> effects this thing might have on our lives i guess right this is true but in order to do that we have on a special guest today an expert am i <laughs> <laughs> uh, returning champ here with us sure sure it's claire so- seely now oh yeah so, technically new person new name new person something like that in the eyes of the law. Okay, so I'm now an expert, a champ, and a new person. I wasn't prepared for any of that today, but thanks for having me back. All right. It's a pleasure. So, where do we start, I guess? Yeah, so, I mean, we ask these general questions, and the question for today is, what is this thing we call propaganda? So, any expert, any ideas? Um <laughs> So, I mean, certainly I would say it has a negative connotation, right? At least for starters, we Mm. could debate if that's necessary later. Um, But propaganda, usually when it's used, refers to the spreading of information or ideas, um, often misleading ones uh, towards some end, often a political end or something else. But um, yeah, I think that's that's at least the stereotype of it or the common understanding, this mm. dissemination of bias ideas, misleading ideas, um, and again, with a with a maybe obviously negative connotation to it. That that seems like a good starting point. And when I was trying to think about what it is at like this real base level, I'm going to do the, the philosopher thing. It, it seems to be some content that is... Direct, at a very level, basic level, right? Some content that is directed towards some specific end. Yes, and it seems that whoever is uh, disseminating this content uh, is supposed to benefit from from mm. the dissemination, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever is the the propagandier <laughs> is uh, somehow. Um, trying to reap benefits of putting this information somewhere, right? And this is why it sounds biased, right? This is why we we tend to believe that's bad, because I am just putting these things out there for the sole reason to benefit from it or to look better. To mm. Which means it is done intentionally. Yes, I, I, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think I think when it becomes complicated and well one reason it could be complicated to define or to say isn't necessarily negative or always negative is when you acknowledge um don't we do everything with a goal right isn't all communication with some goal um whether or not it's to directly benefit ourselves we probably don't communicate information with the goal of harming ourselves right so uh, i think that's where um it might overlap with 
rhetoric, which is, I think, why you're calling me an expert on propaganda. <laughs> um, or, yeah, or just where it becomes generally confusing. I think it would be really easy to give this kind of, um, you know, watered down definition where we say goal oriented yeah. messages or something. But that seems to miss some significant meaning when we when people use that term. Well, I think you're right uh, from some perspective. Uh, every time we speak, we do some a little bit of right. I was thinking that exact thing. That, that is, we propagate our point of view. Exactly, or, yeah. exactly, and that is human. But I think there is an extra level there, right? There is an extra level, and maybe it has to do with with the fact that propaganda is not necessarily about a specific individual, but about a system, mm. about an entity that goes beyond the individual, mm -hmm. and it has to do probably with things that don't. Um, what can we say? The the benefit that we reap is not uh, what can we say? Limited, or to again limited to one person, but rather it benefits the system itself mm -hmm. within uh, within the world, not just again a couple of individuals. I don't think you can say that I can do propaganda for myself. Mm. I can advertise myself. Like I can I can do certain things, but. It would be silly to say that I do, or I do some propaganda for Anthony, mm -hmm. or even for for the podcast, right? I cannot do propaganda for or to the mm. podcast. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe when we're king of the world. No, no, kings of the world. No, but maybe that's a line between because I, when I was thinking about this episode, one of the questions I had is, what's the difference between propaganda and advertising? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's mm. that's a good starting point in, in delineating those two things, right? So when I was thinking about it and you said there had to be more involved, one of the ideas that came to mind was this thing about extent or scale. Um, you know, maybe when it gets past a certain point, then we call it propaganda. Who knows? It might be a type difference, but at the very least there seems to be a scale difference. But we have these base, you know, necessary conditions. We're saying, okay, it's some kind of information, some content for a specific end, but that's not sufficient conditions, mm -hmm. clearly, right? Because like you said, if I said, oh, uh, go get me a bottle of water, right? I'm, I'm giving information and it's benefiting me in some way, and probably we wouldn't say that that's propaganda. So we have to figure out why that's not propaganda, why the things that are propaganda are propaganda, but maybe even the most basic starting point is, what do people usually think of in the everyday, so to speak, when they hear this word propaganda? Let's start there. Well, I think um, they connect this immediately to politics, right? Mm -hmm. mm. Absolutely. There's what we, I think we fail to realize that we specify, I mean, you usually need to specify if we're talking about this thing seriously, that's political propaganda, mm. which entails that there are other kinds of propaganda, right? Because mm -hmm. otherwise you wouldn't need to do that. Mm. So, yes, definitely we think about that, but we shouldn't think just about that, right? Mm. Yeah. I I think that a name that always comes to my mind, and I think a lot of other people's, is like Goebbels and the whole Nazi propaganda campaign and how they um, took hold of kind of all of the media entities to put forward this one um, not one message, but one set of messages and point of view um, and how that was very obviously negative and persuaded so many people. Um, so I think because that was that was and is so well known and well documented, 
Um, maybe that's partially why we associate it so tightly with uh, a political party or a political campaign and coming from this kind of top-down, powerful entity like that. Absolutely. And I think that that gives us, actually, what you just said, probably gives us a glimpse to one of those necessary conditions that need to be there for something to be propaganda, which is probably the, in order for something to really be propaganda, needs to be, the message needs to be totalizing, right? Mm. I mean that this needs to be the only message out. Mm. Because otherwise, it's not just, otherwise, I'm just giving information, right? Otherwise, mm -hmm. I'm just proposing a point of view. But when it becomes the only point that's been hammering out constantly, then it becomes propaganda, maybe, right? Or yeah. maybe not. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I remember when I was listening uh, to your guys' education episodes and you were talking about um, kind of something that makes something education and not something like propaganda, uh, say when you're lecturing or doing whatever in a classroom, is education has an open-endedness. It has an exploratory element. It is tentative, right? It can and will change. You're looking for an idea, whereas I... I agree that propaganda kind of has the answer prescribed and it's going to give you that answer and it's not interested in exploring ideas um, so much as delivering that prescribed message. So it's totalizing. It is self-contained. So is it an ideology? Uh, or at least the dissemination, the certain kind of dissemination of an ideology. I think it is a vessel for ideology, yeah. definitely. I was thinking the term medium. Yeah, it yeah. seems to be the way of delivering mm -hmm. the ideology. It, and I think, well, and I think it's the, the ideology doesn't necessarily need to be there. That's what I was going to ask. Like, can you propagandize something that's not an ideology? Uh, I, my instinct says yes. Oh, interesting. But I need a couple of minutes to elaborate <laughs> yeah. why, though. Because I have the feeling that, um, and again, we have the tendency of avoiding contemporary stuff when we talk, right? We don't want to do that. Uh, I know you don't like, you, you have you What have are said, you looking at me for? <laughs> you, you have said, like, publicly, in the, we really need to go there. So I'm not going anywhere specific, but I'm saying that especially today, I would say that there might, there might have been some propagandistic messages going on in the past five years, mm -hmm. uh, from five years to now. But I don't necessarily see an ideology behind this propaganda. I will call mm. it empty propaganda. Mm. Um, which I don't know if it makes any sense. I don't think there is a design, a grand scheme, an ideological grand scheme uh, behind it. So it's I like an just... invisible hand propaganda. It's like... Um, I think it's more like a fad. You, people are following some trends, and they are using propaganda to reinforce those trends, maybe, or to to just go in a specific direction. Hmm. And I think, and again, we're going ahead of ourselves. I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think before, in the past, like for the Nazis, right, there was this ideology, and then you invest some mediums to propagate. Mm -hmm. This idea. Oh, there he is. He hit the, the uh, bar already. Even, even First with this. Hit of the even, with this. Um, even, you know, there's, we, we use all these mediums to propagate this message. Um, today, it seems to me the first I do the propagation, but I observe some ideas that are around, and then I'm thinking, oh, these are going to give me the good reviews. 
so I'm going to start propagating those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing behind. It's not that I really think about these things. It's not that I really believe. There's no grand scheme. There's not ideology. I'm just going with what gives me the immediate good review on political Yelp or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And I think that's a huge difference. I, I think because our media environment is so different than, than say, the time of the Nazis campaign, mm -hmm. um, is part of the reason it makes it really hard to pinpoint what propaganda is. Because uh, I, I think it would be really difficult to pull off something as airtight as, as what the Nazis did with something like the internet and, um, you know, especially in the United States, like we, we still have the ability to, to criticize and speak out and respond and, you know, post, uh, um, opposing views and, and complicating evidence and things like that. Um, so if all of that feedback was totally shut down and shut out of the conversation, it would be so immediately obvious to everyone I think and again that's not to say I, I know there's a lot of shady stuff going on and, and we could get into it or not mm. um, with you know like hiring certain kinds of fact checkers and and you know um, quieting certain certain channels and certain posts and amplifying others so not to say that it's a totally free environment um, but it's also not totalizing in the way that the Nazi campaign was and I, I think if we say only something as totalizing as the Nazi campaign is propaganda, then we'd have to say that that yeah, there is no propaganda, which I don't I don't know if I'm ready to say that. Well, I think you're hitting on an interesting point, and I think maybe that just means we have to get more complicated with regard to this definition of propaganda. Because I think you're right. Like in one sense, you could talk about it as some centralized thing where it's coming disseminating from one locus right of, of information but then you have these other things that we're also calling propaganda that don't seem to have that or at least don't seem to have that in the same way because there's a decentralized invisible hand element where it's just happening but i think all that means is that there's different levels to the propaganda because there's the intentional part mm -hmm. right and then there's the people operating within it unknowingly mm -hmm. disseminating the propaganda. Mm -hmm. And you could say that this is the new, the quote unquote, the new way to do propaganda, the new successful ideology. And more covert way of doing well, it. Well, so maybe. what I'm thinking is, and I'm going to say names, but I'm going to do some equivalents here. So like, you know, someone on the left, like Zizek, or someone on the quote unquote right, like Peterson might say that ideology, when it's successful, you don't even know it's there. It's kind of an always already, right? It's always coming from whether you're conscious of it or not. So when someone is in the system, the ideological system or apparatus, right, whatever you want to call it, um, any moves made within that or certain moves made within that are continuing the propagandizing whether you are aware of it or not. No, no, actually, this is by no means a new idea. Again, Althusser already in the, in the 70s was right. saying the same thing. And actually, for us to be able to talk about propaganda and the fact that we see things, that means that we're not in the ideology that described that propaganda. So that probably going uh, you know, in your direction, Claire, I think maybe we are unable to pinpoint 
the ideology that's behind the propaganda there is today, because we're still fully immersed in it. We're not any, we're not completely able to see it clearly. Mm -hmm. That will be the only way in which we can say, oh, this is just ideological. Mm -hmm. uh, we just don't see it because we're there. Which is like for understanding anything, right? Like go beyond propaganda. We always say to understand any system, you have to take that step beyond the system, right? So like we can't quite understand this idea of God, right? Because you have to step outside to see the whole. Or was it... Uh, was it Wittgenstein who said this idea that you can't fully understand logic because you can't take that meta step outside of logic? I mean, we could try as best as we can, right, to highlight certain parts. So you're never totally free from all constraints, but you can certainly highlight some specific ones. And to give a you know, like a crude analogy, which is always used in philosophy, it's kind of like the matrix. Right. When you're in the thing and you're immersed in the thing so deeply, you don't even know that you're immersed in the thing or that there is even a thing to be immersed into. And that seems to be the deepest penetration of ideology. Right. Yeah. Does that mean, though, that we don't realize that there is the ideology, but we can still see the propaganda or the moment that the ideology disappears because we are immersed in it, then also the propaganda becomes invisible. I'm kind of thinking it could get to that point. I'm curious what you guys think about it, because obviously you'll have people in certain systems, like even Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, where we know like, okay, there's, there's something fishy going on here, right? Like maybe this is a little bit bullshit. I want to get out of this. But then you do have people that don't even realize, like I'm thinking of what's that North Korean defector was her name? Oh, Yeonmi Park. Yeonmi Park, right? This idea that the system can be so successful in like eradicating qu thoughts that question it. So she would talk about how like in North Korea, they don't even have a word for love that's anything but directed towards the dear leader. So that's an instance where it's not like people know they don't even have the, they, they mm. take you away the tools necessary for knowing, at least somewhat. Well, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that... Uh, so you, you're saying that the propaganda is so successful that it's there and you don't see it. It disappears as well. Uh, yeah. It, 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 I don't want to say it disappears absolutely, completely, 100%, because that's like too strong of a claim. But it's certainly possible for it to approach that depending on how well the people are at doing their thing. What What I'm wondering is if... So you're talking about propaganda as the spreading of an ideology and you could never be outside of ideology. Um, I feel like if we stay down this road strictly, we could easily wander in back into like everything is propaganda, right? right because right. Um, what I was thinking before with this inside outside of the matrix thing is like, if you scroll the internet for five minutes or turn on the news for five minutes, it's really easy to spot the other guy's propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. Like when the Absolutely. other side is saying something crazy Absolutely. about whatever hot button issue. Um, and so from your perspective, you're outside of it and they are inside of it. And if you, you know, go into a different household with a different point of view, they're going to think exactly the same thing in the other direction. Mm -hmm. So are both sides being propagandized into an ideology is one side right and the other side is wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't, know that either of those is right or productive so i'm wondering 
I don't know. I'm wondering if we could get any more specific in something like an American system, which does have more freedom of information flow. Mm. If we could get more specific about what actually is the propaganda, is it any time we disseminate a point of view that seems kind of like a useless Right. We don't want to say that, I'm thinking. No, I, I'm also thinking of another thing. So if the... It's not just the way, it's not just the dissemination, right? But it's also the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, maybe, again, if we go just by the fact that whatever opinion, if it's hammered enough, then it becomes propaganda for somebody, we are in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering if we can make the difference there by looking at the goals, right? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Maybe, maybe you know, real propaganda is the propaganda that has... has Real propaganda is whatever dissemination of opinion that has as its goals to suppress any other opinion. Hmm. Okay. To take away anything that disagrees with it. That leaves absolutely no room for disagreement. So it, it's like the eradication of the possibility of dissent. Even to think about dissent. Yeah. Would that make a difference? But in that case... Whenever we are discussing of politics or whatever um, culture, we can still have completely different points of view, and I'll think that you're crazy for thinking this, and you think that I'm crazy for thinking that. But as long as I don't actively seek to suppress your point of view, then I'm not doing propaganda. That sounds like a good starting point. I think the next question one would naturally ask is, well, what exactly do we mean by suppression are there different mm. types of suppression what counts as it because like the, the really fundamental step here would be to say okay propaganda is a certain type of information disseminated in a certain type of way for a certain type of goal right that's the funny thing to say and you just kind of filled mm -hmm. in the mad libs blank there with one way of doing that and so when you bring up this idea of suppression i think this goes back to a question you asked earlier about is all propaganda political? Mm -hmm. Because certainly when you talk about political suppression, you mean like legal suppression or anything where it's like, it's illegal to dissent or we are going to use force to restrict or suppress this thing totally. And that that's like the easy suppression, right? Absolutely. But we now have to ask, are there other types of suppression where it's not so much the guy with the iron fist saying, I'm going to come with guns to your door and kidnap you versus like, I'm going to control what you see, right? I'm going to control the source of information. Um, I'm going to make it impossible or virtually impossible so that what you're saying gets, gets out, out there, there in the, the world, world and becomes influential. influential. But if it gets out, it's right. absolutely useless, right? So clearly what I have in mind is something that's not political, but is still social, which is something like the Internet, for example, and the mm -hmm. people that control, quote-unquote, that thing. Yeah, definitely that is. I was actually thinking of the second thing that you that you mentioned when, when I was talking about suppression, not so much about the legal part, because as you were saying before, Claire, it's very difficult to make mm -hmm. that, especially in the U.S. Right. Somebody says... It's illegal for you now to express this opinion. We'll all be like, oh, this is crazy. This cannot happen. Well, instead, um, removing sources or multiplying sources is the best way for me to ensure that a specific point of view doesn't come out. 
And there's also the step beyond that, which is maybe like the softer (laughs) suppression, second microphone hit of the episode. Um, But maybe the most effective, which is once you manipulate the information flow, then it gives the populace certain ideas and then we all kind of regulate each other, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody is or isn't allowed in in polite conversation if they hold certain views or don't hold certain views. So there's, it's almost like a, I don't, I don't know if hierarchy is the right term, but there's like the, the dear leader that Mm -hmm. makes it legal or illegal to say something. And then there are the powerful internet companies who, you know, amplify certain voices, the fact checkers, right? (laughs) The quote unquote independent ones. That has missing context. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then there's the rest of us who, you know, whatever message has trickled onto our screens and we believe or don't believe, and then how we interact with each other from there. And what makes this really, really complicated now in a way that it wasn't a hundred years ago, maybe, is uh, I think that last category has maybe the most impact, the most power, especially over our everyday lives. I was thinking the same thing. It's kind of this weird paradox where the quote-unquote soft suppression is the one that ultimately winds up being more powerful because it has in its pocket the illusion that it is not what it is. Because when you have these people that are in charge of the quote-unquote soft suppression system, they could always act dumb like well what do you mean we're not making it illegal point to something that makes us restrict and you're like oh i can't point to that so to the everyday eye it seems like no we have laws that protect us they're not making anything illegal but on a much deeper level there's something else going on there Mm -hmm. absolutely and uh, we can uh we can use an example oh i think to to make this even even clearer and then i want to add something to it though um the example is what's happening in Europe right now with the, with the so-called Green Pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not illegal for you not to get vaccinated. You can still not vaccinate. You get not vaccinated, but it becomes very hard for yourself to right. to live mm-hmm. a normal life if you don't get vaccinated. And independently from of what you think about vaccination, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. It is it is an issue uh, because now all of a sudden. You have some countries that they're saying, well, we're not going to renew your passport if you don't get vaccinated. Right. Other countries are going to say, well, you know, in Italy, all we care is just going to eat, going to a bar. So they're removing that. If you're, you're going to go to a restaurant if you're not vaccinated, mm-hmm. but you still can do everything else. You can uh, still breathe and yeah, eat. You, no, but you can, you can still go to work mm. while in places like, uh, I was having this conversation the other day, uh, while in places like the United States, companies are going to start regulating mm-hmm. this thing because what you take if you take away working and you know going to work that's what's going to affect you the most mm-hmm. so i i find it funny that in italy we take away the restaurants here we take away your work so <laughs> that says something about the, the the cultural priorities here but the point being uh, we're, they're not mandating it right mm-hmm. they're doing it in a softer way and there are issues about this obviously right um but aside from that, I was thinking there is another level to, to this, or maybe it's a level that's embedded in all of these things, uh, which is something that I'm, I'm always being weary of, and, and today even more when we talk about propaganda. And it is a specific tool that is used by propaganda, which is truth, right? Mm. 
The claim the every propaganda makes is that they're telling you the truth. And if we take seriously the fact that uh, propaganda is the something that kind of suppresses every other voice until this voice remains the same, what's more powerful than absolute objective truth about something? Mm. Because the moment you establish that, you got to be quiet because it's not illegal. You're just stupid if you say otherwise. Right. Right. You're just crazy if you say otherwise. And he's putting this in air quotes. Yeah. Right, he's saying <laughs> truth, yeah. objective, absolute, in air quotes. Yeah. But isn't that problematic, especially for us, uh, that yeah. philosophy and, in general, even rhetoric? And because if that becomes the chief, the chief instrument that you use mm -hmm. when you're doing propaganda, then we really are in trouble here. Should we, should we go to your favorite way of looking at things and be all relativist <laughs> to avoid that? Uh, that's a good question. I'm thinking like... I mean, isn't the truth inherently at this point a tool of suppression? It, it almost seems like, so in the past, the, the political party in power was the power that drove that drove the propagandistic message, whatever, but this claim to truth in this more diffuse environment is now that powerful thing. Right. It would be too easy to point to and take down a person or a party, mm -hmm. um, but you can't do that with the concept of the truth. Right. And, and like you said, if you do, then on paper to everybody looking at it kind of casually, shallowly, you're doing something obviously evil and crazy. Yeah. You're the one denying the truth. And it seems like you, you know, there's, there's this kind of quasi-truth uh, that is the truth of the ideology, the truth in the propaganda. And very ironically, that idea of the truth suppresses any communication, right? Any kind of like open flow of ideas to challenge it. When in actuality, a, a true pursuit of the truth um, requires open access and communication, right? You need that freedom, freedom of, of speech. speech. The pursuit of it, though, yes. but the moment is established, because that's, I think that we still live under, even within propaganda and ideology, we still are under the illusion that we can pursue it, mm -hmm. but once it's established, hey, it's established, don't come and tell me it can be otherwise, mm -hmm. and I think that we want, I mean, we're culpable of this as well, right? Well, I think it depends on what kind of truth you're talking about, because even if you have, like, a genuine logically tight idea of the truth there's like things that are true a priori right and apodictic as kant would say and then there's things that are true a posteriori empirically true that have to be verified and it seems like a lot of the times well let me back up not all things that are definitively true are instances of ideology or propaganda because there are just components to the most fundamental systems of human thought Right. So, for example, you don't say like, oh, the law of non-contradiction is ideology. Like, no, that's just a necessary component of how consciousness works. So it seems like for some a priori truths that actually are a priori truths, that's OK, because that's not someone manipulating. That's not someone deciding. There is literally no alternative. Right. Oh, I'm excited. However, for other things. That is not the case. So it seems like what a true ideology does or what true propaganda does sometimes is that it takes 
an a, uh, a posteriori claim. It takes an empirical claim and assumes it's true, not only makes you believe it's true, but relegates it to the status of a priori truth, mm -hmm. as if it is like a mathematical proposition when it's not. And I'll, so you made half of the point that I was about to make by saying this. How do we establish, how can we be sure? And of course, I mean, I'm playing a role that I don't necessarily believe in. But how can we be sure that this, the law of non-contradiction is not an empirical claim that has been relegated to the other realm? How mm. do we know that some of these a priori truths, right, some of these uh, things that have to be this way, because otherwise we are not just something, some ideological piece has been crystallized there, right? How do we know that we are not being fooled by some sort of propaganda? And again, I don't necessarily believe this, but it's a question that we need to ask, right? How do we know? I mean, Aristotle has a good way around this, I think. I think, I forget what book of the metaphysics he is, but like, I'll bring this up sometimes when we talk. He has this whole idea of like, you know, there are some people, you would be the some people in this case, <laughs> who ask you to uh, defend even the most basic axioms. And this is kind of annoying because some of them are self-evidently true, but like, let me do it. Right. And he takes the time to break it down. And he talks about this idea of identity and non-contradiction exactly. And he says, the way you prove that these things are set in stone, um, something that maybe Kant later would call forms rather than content. That's a difference, too, right? Because uh, content-based truths are not a priori. And if someone claims that they are detached from the form in that sense, then you could be skeptical. But anyway, um, he says, all right. For any locution, or anytime you're saying something or having a thought or pinpointing a thing, you are doing it for that thing and not any other thing. All right? So for you to say peanut butter and jelly, or even make it simple, jelly, right? When, whatever you mean by jelly, you don't mean the thing that not jelly would be. And the response would be, but what if by jelly we mean not jelly? And he says, okay, just remove the variables. For anything that is being identified, it is that thing and not the thing that it is not. For they cannot be the same thing. And that's his way out of that. But then we're just... Only the formal things can be, can be proven that way. At least necessarily, self-evidently. When we talk about content, then any content-based truth can be, um, what can we say, an expression of ideology. Any empirical in the content, form, maybe. In the form of propaganda, right? Sure, sure. I think it has, it has to be empirical. empirical. Uh, I, maybe. Unless, well, empirical stuff treated as formal things. So, like, you could see a dictatorship or a company or a group of people being like, here's some facts we're telling you about the world, but really... They're not things we're telling you about the world. That's just the structure of how things are. Like, you know, the North Korean thing, for example, I guess. Hmm. It's the attempt to make the contingent absolute. I think that's the, the scary move. Definitely. Uh, but I'm wondering how many of these contingent things we take as absolute in our everyday life. I mean, hmm. I wonder how many of these things are embedded in there to the point that we don't even recognize them anymore. 
I'm thinking the first the easy uh, target for this is like any scientific evidence. Exactly what I was thinking. Right? How many things we say, oh, this is just the way it is. Are you insane that you're thinking any differently? Uh, and even some things that have to do with morality, right? Even though it's mm. a little easier to say, well, but this is relative, right? Mm -hmm. Still, though. Or even manners at this point, even what is polite or not. It's, mm. it's, I guess this problem, again, the, this, this concept of truth is, which is very important for us, again, but it is problematic when it comes to this. To the point that you could say that any any try to establish an absolute truth that is not a formal one mm -hmm. could be considered an attempt, a, propaganda, a propagandistic attempt, maybe. Mm -hmm. Depending on how it's done. Because if one person in their room is doing it. But if we said that propaganda is defined by its ends, then at that point, if the end is to establish an objective truth, no matter the means, that's propaganda, right? If, if it's social, though, right? I think that's... Okay. So to, to establish an objective truth rather than to pursue an objective truth, you're yes. saying? Okay. A non-formal... Non-formal, yes. We're, we're, like, super careful. Right, here. because you can't say any pursuit of objective truth because, like, and every discipline, including philosophy, would be propaganda, right. then, which clearly mm -hmm. isn't the case. Well, yeah, a non-formal tentative to establish an objective truth can be considered propaganda. I, I feel like we should be even more careful, especially after our objectivity episode. So any attempt to make a non-a priori true thing appear and behave as the overarching a priori framework that is because it's because science you know gives us truths that are as we said objective relative to their tools so let me let yeah. me phrase, let me rephrase this in a way that let me ask you in a way that maybe it's simpler let's go let's make a couple of examples is science propaganda that's a really broad question <laughs> i was going to say in in its in its most generous theory no, right? Because they're looking yeah. to best understand the natural world and to come up, you know, come up with laws or principles that illustrate and help us better understand and navigate the natural world. So if a scientist recognizes that this is a tentative, constantly changing process oriented field, then no, that's not propaganda. Agreed. Um, it's, it's ideally what most academic or intellectual yeah, disciplines would be doing they just happen to be studying the natural world as their content but in the case they're pursuing the truth rather than establishing right. it in theory, in theory yes, yes. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me ask then a more specific question are any objectively scientific established truth the result of propaganda or are they propagandistic how can we call it? Results or whatever. I think in order to find the answer to this question, well, you'd have the easy way, one easy way, easy-ish way of doing this is to see if there are any things within, quote-unquote, the scientific literature or community that are politically influenced or directed towards a political end first and foremost instead of being true to the scientific method or goal. 
but I don't know because in that case we're making politics again the chief thing that brings propaganda. Well, I'm thinking. Well, that's why I said a. Oh. Yeah, not the. Because I'm thinking, when, you know, famously, uh, Newton and Leibniz mm. had, you know, disagreement about. We don't need to go into the specific some some math stuff, right? Uh, and Newton eventually. The Academia of Sciences in Britain established the Newton way was the way. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is still, you know, in that specific piece, we still use that rather than Leibniz way. Wasn't that an act of propaganda? Was that a result of propaganda? Mm-hmm. So, I, so think I think there's, 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 there's potential, potential propaganda, propaganda at two levels, um, at least two levels when it comes to scientific inquiry. And one would be the individual scientist who says, I want to prove that this thing is true and they go in and prove that thing true, right? They kind of have the have the conclusion already in mind and so like rather confirmation bias. Sure. Yeah, yeah, confirmation bias. And then the second would be kind of what you're saying which is once a scientist arrives at a particular discovery or conclusion, um kind of how that gets curated by a powerful body, uh be it the government or whatever. Um so sort of choosing who to amplify and who to elevate to that status of, of the truth. I think that's true. And the second one you were talking about reminds me, I don't know if I've referenced this on here before, um, but I always think of like Planet of the Apes, right? The original where they have the scriptures and there's this total intertwinement of the religious ideology, the political system, and the science, quote unquote. And they have these principles that like, oh, you know, uh, Apes are the most advanced species. There was never anything before apes, and humans were always animal-like. And the scientists are there, but they can only work within the fundamental axioms prescribed by the scriptures. So it's already restricted because it's not attacking the natural world at the most basic level. And so when you have, uh, you know, Zira and and her husband. Uh, saying, let's go beyond the forbidden zone. I'm doing this archaeological dig to find out truths that contradict the scripture. The theocrats, I guess maybe you call them, in charge are like, no, you can't do that. That's not real science. So I think what Claire is saying is true, that there is an actual way of defining science that isn't propaganda, but it can easily become corrupted and ideological and propagandized when it is it becomes something that is not science, but the language still calls it science. Because I think that's kind of a key ingredient in propaganda is language manipulation, where either we say something is something that sounds nice, and like, how could you argue with that? Like, how could you not be against this terrible thing? Or how could you not be for this wonderful thing? When in actuality, the thing is not accurately described by the word. And it's, it's that's so successful because people are so, I don't want to say this, but a lot of people don't think beyond the, the, the label. So you're like, oh, I don't want to be a person that challenges that thing or that's not for this thing. So, yeah, a lot of manipulation happens. And I guess the bottom line is real science is not always the thing that people call science. And the thing people call science is not always actual science. When you hear these people saying things like, follow the science, right? It's a lot of the times that is not being used in a genuine, accurate way. And I'm wondering if part, you know, to add to what you're saying, the, the fact that we have created institutions 
the kind of need to put a stamp on something in order to be called scientific is also part of the process of propagandizing the truth, right? It's like Big Brother. Uh, well, you know, you, you, can, you can come up with a new cure for whatever, but if, in this case, the FDA doesn't approve that, mm. that is not a real medicine. That is not real stuff, right? Beyond that or related to that, um, as Anthony was talking, uh, so if you think of the characters in Planet of the Apes that are like, we want to go beyond the science, the established understanding, um, people who choose to do that, who pursue a different cure or a different finding or a different solution, whatever, um, are often labeled conspiracy theorists or propagandists, yes. which again gets dicey because there are legitimate conspiracy theorists who are crazies and doing whatever but um it's another one of these language manipulations where if you do try to step outside the system there are really easy ways to quash what you're doing because they invert the equation right like what's that you know that quote like oh you know when fascism comes it appears in the form of anti-fascism and you could just apply that to anything right when any uh, authoritarian flavor comes into the mix it always presents itself as not that and you could i mean the soviet union is like an example of that but it seems like one basic ingredient of propaganda and ideology here and you know real inquiry versus you know fake inquiry whatever you want to call it is that if you're here's i guess a litmus test if the thing you're in doesn't let you ask questions about the thing there's a good chance you're in an ideology. And I don't mean if the thing tells you that you're wrong because, you know, law of identity logic, you, you could try to disprove it. It's just not going to work, right? But that's different than from someone saying, like, I'm not even going to let you do that thing. And I think maybe this is something we should carry into the next episode, you know, whether it's talking about science, uh, politics, uh I keep thinking in the back of my mind, we haven't talked about it yet, platforms like YouTube or Twitter or Google or any of these things and kind of going through, you know, the phone book of all these possibilities to see to what's see what. what. Yeah. And then I think we should talk about this next episode, right? All right. All sounds right. good. Sounds good. All right. See you later. See ya. See ya. See ya.